Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you shawnee man? Well, did we all enjoy the World Cup over the weekend? Six games, 27 goals. And that's not even taking into account the match that I tried to steer you all away from before. Murph here got you back on track. The geopolitical event of the group stages of World Cup 2018. As you build it, Murph, Switzerland versus Serbia. It certainly worked out that way. Hello and welcome to Monday's World Cup podcast. Brian Nolan tweeted me, I can only assume you'll be providing a heartfelt apology to the people of Serbia and Switzerland for the verbal broadside you launched towards them last week. I just didn't think about enough. I was just making a point that there are certain games you can probably do without seeing. Yeah, and you were wrong. I was wrong. What a game. What drama. Dead what a flat wrong. Controversial celebration of yeah. goals by Xhaka. And I, mean, I don't Shikiri. know why you're talking about this. I mean, it, this game obviously happened three and a half weeks ago. Yeah. In my head, it <laughs> yeah. feels like about three and a half weeks ago. It was the last World Cup, wasn't it? Yeah. Must have been. Brazil, live from Manaus. <laughs> Serbia against Israel. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was... Um, uh, pretty sensational. The two lads, two goal scorers for Switzerland, uh, Jacques and Shakiri, who he had said on Friday, uh, come from Albanian Kosovar um, uh, ethnicity, mm-hmm. uh, celebrated their two brilliant goals by making the double eagle uh, uh, shape with their hands. That's because the Albanian flag carries the image of a double-headed eagle. Um, they, it looks like they might get too much bans for this. Yeah, I've been hearing this. FIFA are- yeah, they're investigating. I mean, you know, they're investigating it. So who knows? Uh, you know, what how, way that's going to go? Yeah, but uh, it's basically the the idea of it is that by making that sign, they're uh, advocating for a greater Albania that takes in parts of Macedonia, Serbia, Kosovo, and Albania itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were saying on Friday that Shakiri had the um, had the Kosovan Kosovar flag on uh, on his boot, so it is pretty unbelievable. FIFA have launched an investigation uh, on the two lads. Uh, there's also an investigation into uh, opened against the Serbian FA for crowd disturbance uh, and the display of political and offensive messages by Serbian fans. And a preliminary investigation has also been opened against the coach of Serbia for alleged statements made in the aftermath of the said match. Uh, these uh, comments are apparently... Uh, I wouldn't give the the referee either a yellow or a red card. I would send him to the Hague. Then they could put him on trial like they did to us. Right. <laughs> See, you've proved your point. Next time I will listen to you. Uh, you flag listen, a game in advance. Listen, no, it's not for me to sit here and tell you how wrong you are. That's not my job. The BBC's Jonathan Pierce is a commentator who sometimes rubs people up the wrong way. I'm going to say sometimes he rubs me up the wrong way. He's got what you might describe as an opinionated style of commentary. I'm not, I'm not sure all that opinion is always necessary, but boy, did Jonathan Pierce get a bang on the money on Saturday night. And so often over the years, this man has conjured something special. Europe's best passer of the ball since 2014. Man of the match in the World Cup final in 2014. They look to cross for a miracle. He's delivered it! What 
Yeah, we can fade him out now. He's, he's, you've done your job very well there, Jonathan Pierce. Yeah. Congratulations. I didn't actually notice the net rustling sound as much when I was watching it. When you listen oh. back, you just hear it. The sound is just beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I, it was just one of the most extraordinary uh, moments that you could possibly hope to watch while watching any sport. This idea that we've presented you with an extremely unlikely scenario, which you're nevertheless going to have to pull off. Thinking kind of Morris Fitzgerald's sideline ball against the Dubs and Thurlis all those years ago. Basically, we can't expect you to do this, and yet we're in a situation where we have to expect you to do this. It's a good comparison, actually, because Mars Fitzgerald was also in a situation where the obvious play wasn't necessarily to take a shot. Yeah, the obvious yeah, play yeah. was probably to lump it in the box and allow somebody else to yeah. have a go. Similarly, Tony Kroos, apparently his teammates were roaring at him um, from the sideline, cross the ball, you know, <laughs> get it in the mixer there, son. He's like, no, it's okay, myself and Roycey here have a little yeah. thing worked out. Yeah, Beautiful pretty, stuff. pretty good. Tony Crow's post-match said many people in Germany would have been happy if we got knocked out today. And Mesut Ozil sent a bit of an up yours tweet afterwards too. So Germany seems to have a siege mentality now, which may not be great news for everybody else. Raphael Honigstein is going to be on the show today to talk about all of that. If you think this World Cup has been fun up to now, well, this week we have four games every day, 3 p.m. Two, two games at 3 p.m. from Monday to Thursday. Two games at 7 p.m. from Monday to Thursday. All Excellent. of them are group enders and loads of these groups are very much alive. This is going to be exciting. The pick of the matches, I think, it's hard. Last night's group is great as well, the Colombia group, but the pick of the matches, I'm going to say, is Nigeria versus Argentina. That's tomorrow night, isn't it? Tuesday. Tomorrow night. The yeah. Tuesday night game. Oloshina Akaleji is back today to tell us, tell us if his beloved Super Eagles can put Leo Messi. Where do you think you got it all wrong today? Can put Leo Messi out of his misery. And of course, for those of you signed up to the World Service, we'll be on top of all of these groups right through the week with our daily World Cup podcasts. If you feel like signing up to get a piece of that, secondcaptains.com is the place to do it. It's only five euro a month plus VAT. Just talk to some people who've already signed up for the World Cup shows. I'm pretty sure they'll give us a good reference. Now, Ken was in Nizhny Novgorod yesterday to watch England dispatch Panama. There's a voice. <laughs> 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 oh my God. Sorry, mate. That's actually my seat. What you think doesn't really matter. He's an annoyed twat. Uh, I got locked in a toilet. Well, what's next for you? What's next for Hadaway? What a boy you are. Ken, you've watched the arch goladors of World Cup 2018. Are you not entertained by England? Uh, well, how could you not be entertained by England? I mean, that, it was a, a massacre, a slaughter. Um, you really had to feel a little bit sorry for poor Panama as England uh, beat them and pummeled them and bashed them into the dust. Um, what dominance that uh, set plays. Uh, what cool clinical efficiency in front of goal it's coming home Owen. it's coming home I mean you say that half in jest if not fully in jest but is there a chance it is coming home at least we know the attacking parts of their game which is what we had heard the, the, such as, the hype such as it was was around how they could attack and how they had all these great young players uh, none greater than Harry Kane I guess yeah well Harry Kane has done what uh, no English player uh, had done since Gary Lineker uh, scored five goals in two World Cup matches. In fact, no player had managed to do that since Lineker did it in 1986 until Romelu Lukaku uh, yesterday. Well, Maradona did it, didn't he? Was not the start of here? Maradona did it also in Oh, you're, Sorry, you're correct, you're correct. Lineker, I, I, I just got confused there because Lineker uh, was talking about Maradona and then managed to insert himself into that. Because I also did this. Um, scored two and three. Maradona scored two and two in the quarterfinals and the semifinals yeah. in 1986. So Lukaku scored two and two uh, for Belgium and Harry Kane has scored two and three. Two from corners in the first match, two from penalties in the second match, and then one off his heel that he knew absolutely nothing about, but flew into the net anyway, because it was that kind of a day for both <laughs> England and for Panama. Okay, so I guess the obvious question is how bad were Panama and how much we should read into this performance by England? <laughs> That's one of the worst teams <laughs> I've ever seen that I've ever been present to, to, 
to see in the flesh. I mean, it's so bad. Um, what we could say about Panama was they, for some reason, decided they were going to try and take on England sort of man for man. And that wasn't a good idea because their players are not really on the same level. Uh, they would have been a lot better doing what, uh, do, you know, adopting the, the, the fairly the orthodox kind of approach of a, of a bad team playing a good team and just try to defend the space. Don't, don't get out there and try and take on um, the opposing players uh, so you're kind of one-on-one. Just defend the space and make it difficult for the for the other team. Panama didn't do that. And it, and it was it was sort of interesting watching them. I mean, they just totally fell apart in the first half. It was 5-0 at halftime. And the first goal comes from a corner. But you could already see, whenever there's, whenever there's a ball into the box, Panama want to defend. Um, they use man-for-man marking. Um, it's something that, you know, is, often comes up. Oh, zonal marking, stupid. Look at this. Um, there is no, uh, you know, the, everyone is leaving it to everyone else. The, the system is at fault. Well, this is a good demonstration of what's wrong with man-to-man marking. Right. Why man-to-man marking doesn't really work. Why not? Uh, well, because if your men just blindly follow decoy runners out of the crucial areas of the of of the of the penalty box, allowing somebody like John Stones to just, you know, John Stones reminded me of as he walked, he sort of sauntered into the box to uh, to head in the first goal for England, as all of these Panama players just parted ways because they were all following England players who pulled them out. You know, oh, I'm marking this guy. Well, he's what if he runs sort of out of the goal area and I just follow him? And what if? Four of my teammates also do the same to four England players who do the same thing. The problem is that right there in the middle, you've got all this empty space. So John Stones reminded me a little bit of President Putin uh, walking down the red carpet at his inauguration, surrounded by crowds of adoring, uh, crowds of adoring Russians, just a solitary, suited man. Well, in John Stones' case, wearing an England kit. But he had that much space and that much time and that little interference with what he was doing and head of the ball in. It was just it was one of the most ridiculous goals. Um, you can imagine sitting at a World Cup. Um, after this, uh, what was the next one? The next one, I think, was the penalty. It's one of those where you find it difficult to remember all the goals or the order. The next one was a penalty. Um, England actually should have had a penalty before that. For Jesse like, Lingard got like punched in the mouth after a minute. <laughs> How can you get punched hard in the face and not get a penalty when you've got VAR? I don't know. But they um, got a penalty anyway because Lingard again was fouled this time. Like why? Why are he jumping on Lingard's back? Like he's he's got a difficult sort of chance here from an angle, and is delighted to go down and get a penalty. Um, I mean, I'm not suggesting that he went down easily. I'm just saying he was happy when a Panamanian defender jumped on his back uh, and uh, and gave him a penalty from a difficult chance. So Harry Kane absolutely blasted that one into the top corner. Uh, Lingard himself uh, scored a, a nice goal, uh, running in edge of the box, curled it into the top corner, lovely finish. Uh, the fourth goal was a was a, a fantastic. You know, the fourth goal was a bit like you know one of those things where you've got like a little ball that rolls around an elaborate setup in the laboratory, and it's always sort of it goes into a little cartwheel and, and then pops through a hatch and then hits a lever and you know runs yeah. along a rail. It was it was a set piece routine like that that England had cooked up on the training ground. Um, uh, a short pass by Trippier instead of putting it into the box. Uh, a cross by Henderson, a sort of diagonal cross to Harry Kane, far post, knocked down by Harry Kane. Raheem Sterling has a simple chance. Goalkeeper saves it, but then Stones is waiting to head the ball in um, from uh, from close range. So Stones now, um, Stones, remember, nearly scored a, a couple of times against Tunisia, so he's been very dangerous for England. Uh, then there was another penalty. This was another corner uh, and more uh, man-to-man wrestling by the Panamanians, resulting in, I think, two fouls, but you can only get one penalty. Uh, I think both Stones and Kane were fouled. Uh, so Kane scored that penalty. So it's 5-0 at halftime. I mean, my God. And, and at that point, you're thinking, hmm, I wonder can Harry Kane completely take control of the golden boot race here? You know, it's Oleg Selenko is the record for the number of goals scored in a World Cup match with five for Russia against Cameroon in 1994. Uh, I think 10-1 is the, is the record. Is, is 10-1 the record in the World Cup? I'm not sure. I can remember that. Was it the Soviet Union beating Honduras 10-1 or possibly Hungary in 1982? Germany uh, so this, this is the kind of thing you're, you're wondering about at halftime. Are England going to set some kind of a record here? didn't really work out like that because England's, you know, the way, it, the, way the game was, they scored nearly all the goals from set plays. I mean, the, the Lingard one came from upper play and the Kane one, the third one, the half-trick goal, was kind of an accident. 
Uh, the rest of the goals were set plays. The rest of the time, England were just kind of keeping the ball. It was a hot day. You know, the game was already won. Nobody wants to get injured. Nobody wants to get a card. Um, you know, he, Gareth Southgate started to think immediately about the harmony of the group. I mean, he wasn't thinking about the game anymore. He was thinking about, hmm, which of the players on the bench do I need to bring on in order to promote group harmony? So it was no surprise to me to see Jamie Vardy get on the field uh, in that situation. Um, uh, not that he really managed to do much. I mean, the game was the game was dead. And, and uh, you know, at the end, then Costa Rica at least did manage to score a goal which was a nice moment for uh, for Baloy. I mean, it was a badly defended set play by England. Uh, a ball, a ball in, and a very simple finish for him. Um, Great celebration by the Panamanians. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, you might as well. You know, what, what are you going to do? I mean, it's they'd all got over being destroyed in the game at that point. What are we all here for? Uh, a sing song, Ken? Is that it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's Panama. You know, it's not Brazil. Like, I mean, I remember. When Oscar scored in the seven-one in Brazil, just just for, you know to, to make it seven-one instead of seven-nil, it wasn't like you had Brazilians all delighted in the stands, going, "Oh, that's great!" Was, you know, they just started booing and screaming and whistling louder than ever before. Oh, score now, dear! Score now, dear! It's not, it wasn't none of that attitude from the Panamanian fans. I mean, they were delighted. Great to great to have a goal. Well done to Panama uh, for that. Um, yeah. But uh, really, I, I, I do feel as though they need to... Um, I mean, they, they just weren't at the remotely near the level that you need to be to, to play in the World Cup, I'm afraid. Uh, it sounds like you're still not entirely convinced of uh, England's World Cup credentials, though. There's something well, in your tone of voice, Ken, that suggests that they're, they haven't proved anything to you just yet. Well, they've beaten two, two terrible teams. I mean, one narrowly... Um, they, only, they, only, they only beat very late and then they've absolutely trounced Panama out of it so um, I mean I see, we saw Belgium yesterday against uh, Tunisia uh, and that was like what a good team can do to Tunisia and it was funny I mean they beat them they beat them 5-2 and yet uh, they, they beat them they beat them 5-2 but they actually managed to miss more chances Michi Batshuayi alone managed to, managed to miss as many sitters as England had in their sitter-packed, uh, squandered sitter-packed game against Tunisia. So I thought, okay, well, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't really speak too well for England. But then, you know, the, the kind of England against Panama, Belgium against Panama, those results are, are kind of reversed as well. Um, you know what I mean? And I think what we actually saw was both, in both instances, the first game was a bit tighter and the second game, when the smaller uh, team was under more pressure and also knew, you know, they had, they kind of had to win to get back into it. Um, and once the goals started going in, they, they, then they kind of collapsed a little bit, more so than they would have in the first game. So, yeah, I mean, it, I think it's, it's been a kind fixture list. I mean, it's been a great group. I mean, they, they've effectively been able to have a little warm-up tournament before the tournament starts, and they start the tournament in the knockout phase. That's the way that the group has worked out for England here. Uh, it really was, it really was the kindest group. I mean, this game against Belgium on Thursday is just is like a, it's like an exhibition game, and the question is like who's gonna the the the, the question at issue is who who's gonna finish first and who's gonna finish second. But we don't actually know yet who wants to finish first, who wants to finish second, because depending on how the other groups work out, that first place in the in the group could be a bit of a a, a sort of a booby prize, because. Um, you know, we, we, it, it, there could be the quarterfinal against, I think, the winner of Germany or or Brazil. I mean, depending, we, we'll know more about this on Thursday. By the time they actually play, then most of those matches will have been decided. We'll know where most of the teams finished and where most of the second round uh, games are going to be, who's going to be playing who. And it will be more obvious at that point whether you really want to finish first or second in the group. I mean, obviously, you always want to finish first. That means you've had the best record in the group, but that in itself is a, is a good sporting prize. And the way that it is, so they're, they're level on everything. They're level on goals scored, they're level on, you know, goal, goal difference, obviously. Um, so if it's a draw, it comes down to fair play, uh, which means basically yellow and red cards. Uh, England are currently ahead because they've only had two and Belgium have had three. But if it does come to a situation where they, they want to actually finish second, um, I do wonder if that creates some perverse incentive <laughs> yeah. uh, for the last 15 minutes of that match as players start to uh, players start to behave obnoxiously towards each other and the referee in order to try to generate the necessary uh, fair play 
uh, uh, lots on the copybook to uh, finish second. I don't know if, if it's going to... I doubt it. I doubt two proud sporting nations such as England and Belgium could ever stoop to something like that. But I really hope they do uh, for the sake of all our World Cup memories. If we're taking this thought that you've expressed there, that England essentially get a free pass in the group and get to start their tournament in the knockout phase, they do get to start that tournament with a lot of confidence and presumably, presumably with a lot of the usual big tournament angst washed away. This is going to be dependent on what happens in their game with Belgium, obviously, but they'll certainly have their main man and top goal scorer on the back of at least five goals in the group phase, maybe six or seven, because Belgium look pretty open as well. So there's a goal there for Harry Kane. I'm essentially repeating the same question I asked you after the opening match. If you've got Harry Kane in this kind of form, you've got a chance against anyone, surely. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's not, it's not as though Harry Kane sort of ran the show. He just ended up with a stupendous five-goal haul after two matches. Great penalties, again, though, Ken. Great. I, I, love, I, love when a player, I love when a player stitches a penalty like that and then the, steps up again and says, I'll just put it in the same spot, keeper. You're not going to save it regardless. Yeah, that last one That last one was pretty good. Might as well uh, might as well try that one again since <laughs> he hit the ball nicely to that corner. Um, I mean, Harry Kane is, is a fantastic player. He's not the only player to have scored a lot. I mean, the golden it looks like the golden boot race is going to be um, is going to be higher than it usually. I mean, six is kind of the mm. has been the total for a long time. I mean, Ronaldo I think got eight in two thousand and two, but has everyone else sort of got six? Muller was five. Wonder what it would five in twenty ten, and Kane's already there. Um, so it's going to be more than six, it, it looks like, because Lukaku's there at four, Ronaldo's got four. You know, who knows uh, who else might come into it uh, as the games go on. But yeah, it, it's great for them to have to have scored all these goals and to sort of they feel as though yeah, well, you know, we're here, we arrived, we we're clicking, everything is going well, and also they've established some strengths. You know, set piece, they're they're obviously really dangerous to set piece. I mean, they've taken eleven corners and scored goals from four of them, which is an insane total. Uh, I mean, usually it's like a goal every fifty corners or so. So England are scoring have scored a goal from from four out of eleven corners, uh, and that's I think about twenty two times the normal rate of scoring. Doubt they can keep it up. To be honest, if they do, they will definitely win the World Cup. Uh, but um, uh, but it does it does show that I mean it's it's one of the things that Southgate said specifically they have worked on. We think this makes a huge difference in tournaments. You know, no matter how much you control the game, how much possession you have. Set, set pieces at both ends of the field just are going to decide a, a lot of your game. So it's something that they've been uh, that they've been really working on. It may actually help to explain to some extent why they got so angsty about the. Um, I mean, this has been been this totally ridiculous story over the last couple of days. You know, involving the. I don't know how closely you've been following it, uh, Owen, but you know, watching the kind of being around the English media for this game. I think it's. Just follow it, following the whole thing as, as it sort of unfolded over the last couple of days. Totally ridiculous. Okay, well, hold on. R- ridiculous on whose side? Because I've been following it very closely, and I was about to ask you about this exact issue, having observed the English press up close and the English team as close as you can you can get. Is this ridiculous in the sense that Gareth Southgate shouldn't have been annoyed with the press in the first place, or that the press are, are feel like they're being victimised by Gareth Southgate? What's the deal? Oh, okay. I, I mean, Southgate, I thought his response, oh, you know, you should... Uh, uh, you're helping us, or whatever, was, was kind of a bit silly. It's like, sorry, are we on the payroll here? No, I mean, it's not. Uh, yeah, there, there is no obligation to, to help. But the darts, I mean, Ken, the darts and the bowling. Oh, my God, the darts. The darts is just so embarrassing. It really is. Uh, I, I believe still no journalist has managed to beat an English player or, well, the last I heard, the highest score was 26. Um by a journalist, which is great off three darts. And I think even yourself uh, would probably have a, hmm. have a decent chance. I mean, would you? Do you reckon you could? You no, could I'm, 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 I'm the no? worst. I'm the worst dartist in the second captain's office. Ken, you're still throwing more than twenty six though. Yeah, I, I mean, if you if you give yourself three goals, you'd definitely average over twenty. So my point about that is that it, Southgate seems to have believed at one point during the week that because he had buttered up the journalists, he maybe would get the rub of the green when it came to covering stories, and then that team sheet popped up that was hanging out of the pocket of one of his coaches and, and he got annoyed with that but it's just it's just such a common it's just such a common um event is it not the the uh the whole uh the the lenses uh being of the quality that they are that these sorts of things are often picked up i mean it's usually like uh something you often get like with the you know tory tory ministers are going in a brexit cabinet meeting and like someone is photographed going over the sheet of sheaf of papers, and it says like Brexit at the top, and then it's like question mark, you know, 
well, you know, what are we going to do? Oh, you know, and, and, the, and, and they kind of publish the notes. We don't have any plan. You know, that's that's usually kind of the, the type of story. This is. You, you always see, like, wherever, pe- wherever people have notes or papers, photographers are, 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 uh, are taking photos of them. It's just a normal thing that happens now. The cameras can can do that. It wasn't as though this was like secretly filmed, like the photographer, like the photographer uh, climbed in secretly and, and, and hid in a tree and, and like took photographs they should have. It was like an official event. It was like, this is the part of training that the media are allowed into. And the, the, the photographers are all accredited. Like it's all completely normal and above board. You took a picture, it's like, oh, this picture contains some interesting information. We'll put that in our newspaper. <laughs> and, and suddenly, and this is somehow regarded as controversial. I find that amazing. But, you know, then we had this whole thing of, oh, well, you know, you're, you're not patriotic enough. And what, what actually happened is the whole thing playing out in social media was, I'd say, fairly disheartening for the journalists who realized that, yeah, they are actually the most hated group of people in, in uh, British society right now. <laughs> it's utter hatred and contempt for their profession. You know, you people are scum. So you see this, um, you see this kind of public reaction. Uh, I think it is quite a disheartening time, really, for the, um, for the English media. Um, not, not just the English media, but like England does have quite highly developed sports media. I mean, they they, they must have. It's certainly one of the biggest press corps that follow around a team at the World Cup. Uh, they've got a lot of newspapers. In, I mean, to give you an example, right? In Russia, I'd go around sometimes, and people would say, "What do you What do you do?" Or like, "Where are you from?" Yeah, you know, I'm from Ireland. What do you What do you do? I'm a journalist. Oh, really? You have You have a blog? And I'm like, no. Uh, you know, I'm a journalist. Like. Uh, actually a podcast but uh yeah i also work for a newspaper they're like oh like the, the idea of a newspaper is kind of weird like three people have said that to me i just thought when the third person said it i thought this is a bit strange why why blog like that's just sort of the assumption that they make the media landscape is very different here obviously like newspapers aren't really a thing here anymore i mean if they ever were but in england they still are and there's this kind of big structured media environment um, that maybe might seem a little it's not, it doesn't seem strange to us, it's familiar to us but to, in other countries it might seem a bit strange now this is beginning to change and it's changing really fast you can see a few things that have gone on recently the whole Raheem Sterling stuff we talked about a while ago, right? Yeah. Um, the baiting of Raheem Sterling by some of the English newspapers, I think went down extremely badly with a lot of the public I'm sure some of the public were like, yeah, absolutely agree with that, you know, Raheem Sterling only cares about bling, you know Fuck him! Like loads of loads of people thought that, but at the same time, loads of people thought this is terrible. Like this is victimization. Like who, who do these people think they are to do this? Then what did we see? We saw Raheem Sterling do a big piece with none other than the, the Players, Players Tribune. Tribune. Yeah, the player, the Players Tribune, right? Where the where the athlete writes the story, or right, you know, the, it's written by some anonymous like uh, drone, you know, a journalist. Uh, he doesn't even <laughs> he doesn't even get their name put on it. It's presented as Sterling's own own piece. Um, and, and he and he and he produces this piece, which is like, um, which which goes down really well because people are like, it's basically the same as all the other players' tribute pieces. It's like, oh, you know, it's about like my hard life, the inspirational adults who helped me get through, uh, who helped me get through and help help to get me where I am today. Uh, and and that that was sort of got a rapturous reception. It's like, oh, you know, go Raheem and this, you know, that look at look at what he's had to overcome and so on. And I actually thought the piece itself was, was quite flawed. I mean, it sort of skirted around a lot of issues, didn't really engage with the whole um, element of racism that, uh, that, that Sterling has had. It's like, kind of didn't really go there. That's maybe a bit nasty, a bit uncomfortable. You know what I mean? When the player has, or the player's agent has, you know, whoever is making the decision from the, let's say, the Sterling camp, uh, has copy approval. Uh, do we really want to get into that? It ended on the note like England is still a country where a naughty little boy. I mean, he says naughty little boy because he also says that um, he was expelled from primary school for I think the reason given was not listening to his teacher. Uh, I mean, what I'm what I mean, England is still a country where a naughty little boy can you know come from nowhere and and, and realize his dream. Which I thought, well, that's sort of telling telling people what they want to hear to an extent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is the piece was was a bit a bit piori, but nevertheless contains some interesting stories, some interesting information about Raheem Sterling's life. You see that that's he's doing it with, with the with the players' tribune because that's kind of where that's increasingly you see where players kind of feel comfortable. You know, it's like uh, you got Derek Jeter and PK sort of giving it a bit of star power, you know, agents um, agents and stars sort of coming together in this little roped off area and promising an article that you know is going to be specifically engineered to kind of react to 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 make you 
look good or to or to portray you in a positive light. Which I'm not saying why you know why why shouldn't it? But it, you know it's not it's not sort of like a critical journalism of the type that maybe you know maybe some of us uh, think think might might be even more interesting to read. But look, does does that so that's one example. Okay, that I think I think that's an example of where the the, the media's traditional role is kind of being taken away or is being subsumed by these or taken over by these other slightly different sort of entities that are promising a different sort of service and it is like more like a service to the players and then you've got uh say what the what they're talking about harry kane was talking about it in the you know last week when i saw him do the pre-match press conference um you know we uh, he's been asked about all the social media stuff yeah you know the stuff that we like to put out you know the, let the fans know what we're up to you know the stuff on social media of course this used to be the journalist job as well you know what I mean? I can I can remember the last tournament that I didn't actually go to was Euro 2000, and I remember I watched a week of that in the Canary Islands, and it was I remember myself and my brother used to go every day and like buy all the newspapers, buy all the English newspapers, like the, the you know the Daily Mail, the tabloids, whatever newspapers we could get, and just read sort of voraciously the coverage of Euro 2000 because that was basically all you could do. You know that was the only way to follow it. You know, it wasn't like you could, you, nobody, there, there was no such thing as a smartphone. The, the internet did exist. Websites, yes, they did exist. But it was something that was kind of attached to a desktop computer at the end of a bunch of phone lines. And it was a bit of a palaver. Certainly if you were away in a different country, it was, it was tricky to get on there. So you would be reading all this stuff. Like some of the newspapers are day old or two days old. You used to be reading it anyway. Going, oh, have you seen this? The Spanish press have described David Seaman as a piece of meat with eyes. They say England would play better if they played with a goalkeeper instead of this piece of meat with eyes they call Seaman. <laughs> you know, this, this is the stuff. This is the kind of stuff that was in the papers. And uh, it's just the, the position of the papers has, has kind of collapsed so dramatically since then in terms of their importance or their centrality to how people follow these tournaments. Now, the players are literally bypassing them, um, you know, with the, with the uh, you know, all this social media stuff that they're doing, or, you know, players' tribute, or all this, this type of stuff. Um, and I think there's a sense, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying specifically for this reason or that, or, or that I've spoken to people about it and they've talked about this. It's just I get the sense that they kind of feel like a little insecure, a little bit under siege. And I'm sure that feeling is, is even is worsened as well when you get like loads of people on, on Twitter going, oh, you know, you scum, you know, journalists scum, you know, you people just have been making money out of misery for years and now you're getting your come up and said you're all going to be out of a job in five years. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, does, it is a little bit discouraging, I would say. Yeah. So uh, I don't know, maybe that's why they're so happy to be sort of patted on the head by these... Um, by these uh, three dark challenges and all that kind of stuff like the, the notion that we're you know didn't danny murphy danny murphy said something like this is all bollocks like players don't play play darts with journalists because they want to play darts yeah richie had, richie had raised that point uh, himself actually here to do um, in studio and funny enough danny murphy made a very similar point it's like they don't this he wasn't a big fan of it but i'm gonna keep let, let you keep observing those English journalists at close quarters, Ken. Let you go right after I ask you about Tony Cross's amazing free kick. We're going to be talking about oh. Hunningstein. What a goal. Oh, my God. What a goal. What a moment to produce something like that. Absolutely. He is phenomenal. Just the striking ability he has. He is unbelievable. And I was watching it with... Uh, uh, there was quite a few England fans around me um, in Nizhny Novgorod. Obviously, this is the night before the England game. So there were quite a few England fans already there. And they were loving it so much. Oh, God, they were loving this game so much, uh, especially from the point at which um, uh, Boateng got sent off. You know, it was like, oh, send him off, send him off. And the, the red cards, yes, you know, so they're cheering this. And then, then, it, then it sort of switched to jubilation because I think the, the assumption was at that point that Germany are screwed, they can't come back. Uh, and and the, the, <laughs> they're just abusing every element of, of Germany, especially Yogi Love, uh, until eventually he comes to Tony Crowe's last minute, last second, 1994. 40 or 94 42 i think it's the latest goal germany have ever scored at the world cup that wasn't an extra time which is some record because they have scored one or two late goals and just to see him nail that in <laughs> and the silence just oh no and the people just sitting there like unable to believe what what they just uh, witnessed was oh and i have to say extremely amusing ken safe travels thanks Alan. thanks kieran Totally insane. Jesus Christ. Oh my God, it's coming back to me now. Oh my God. What happened? 
after the game, I came back on the, the metro from the stadium to Nevsky Prospect. It was like basically Russian Arthur's Day. Uh, they're all beating your horns. They like rev their engines. You've got terror of death. You think you're gonna die. Loads of people had these balloons of what I assumed was laughing gas. Hippie crack, Raheem Sterling, hippie crack. I'm sorely tempted. I was like, I really should try that. What happens if I fall over and hit my head? And then, I, I watched as a girl took a great big <laughs> out of this balloon, right? <laughs> out of this balloon. And so I was, I was sort of giggling. And then just eyes rolled back in the head and she just fell backwards like poof. Couple of minutes after that, so this time a man, probably 30 ish, pitched forward onto his face. I thought, oh my god, I can't believe this just happened again. Smashed down onto the concrete with his chin. He'll never chew normally again. Gonna be half dead. But in fact, again, he was alright. Old titanium jaw. <laughs> what a night. What a city. What an adventure for the host nation. I know these Kennedy travelogues are as big a crowd pleaser at this stage as his actual football reporting. The good news is that he's on a long train journey to Moscow today. And if I know anything about Kennedy and yeah. long train journeys, <laughs> he'll find some at major football tournaments. Yeah, he'll he'll work it out somehow. Well, to hear what goes down, you're going to have to be signing up to the World Service to listen to our daily World Cup podcasts. Raphael Honigstein, what a moment from Tony Kroos on Saturday night, especially considering that not all of his teammates were too happy with his option taking. I mentioned earlier on, you actually wrote this in ESPN, that Matt Hummels was screaming at him from the sideline to just stick it in the mixer. Yeah, he was. And uh, he was having a conversation with Marco Royce as well, and they both agreed that just putting another cross in against this big, strong Swedish defender, defenders was not going to be a good idea. Um, but cross being cross, he immediately realized the angle wasn't good enough, so they just moved at that half a meter. And uh, if you get a chance to see it again, I think the way that Royce... Um, so really gently just stops the ball is almost as uh, stunning and interesting as the strike itself. Obviously a victory over Sweden in normal circumstances would be nothing to crow about from a German point of view but given the defeat against Mexico a lot of rumblings of discontent coming up to the game and just the dramatic there's no substitute for a, a, a winner like that, a spectacular winner in the last minute of injury time. How much has that done do you think for this team and for how the German people feel about this team? In terms of the tournament, I think it's hard to overestimate the importance because a 1-1 draw, I think, would have all but eliminated Germany. They would have kind of dragged on to the South Korea game, knowing that a draw between Sweden and Mexico would have knocked them out. So I think it would have made for a terrible next few days uh, with everyone being really downtrodden and a prolonged sort of end to the tournament. And now, of course, they're very much alive. Uh, the World Cup has started at last. I think the um, euphoria that was certainly missing or any kind of real sense of optimism and um, yeah, and empathy with this team hadn't really been there. And now, I think by, by delivering Germany from their worst fears, and this is both the team and the country, I think there is at last a sense of, uh, okay, this could be interesting, this could be exciting, let's, uh, let's see what happens here. Because there was a very strange mix of so uninvolvement and detachment, I think it had to do with the fact that it was in Russia, which was very, um, you know, difficult, uh, politically difficult, I think, for a lot of Germans. The fact that this team are made up of lots of these young guys who don't seem to be that interested in what the public think of them, but more interested in social media and, you know, wearing the right trainers. And now you have a completely different dynamic. Now you have a team that saved itself from, from a really precarious situation. And people will tune in to see how the story ends. It wasn't just uninvolvement. There was some fairly active stuff coming from ex-players. So Mario Basler described, a lot of it directed at Mesut Ozil, who was, who was dropped as it happened. But Mario Basler said that he had the, the body language of a dead frog. You, know, you quoted Lothar Mateus as saying something that might be somewhat political charged, politically charged, depending on what way you want to read it, saying that Ozil seems to feel unhappy in the German FA shirt. So it's, I know you used the word sort of uninvolvement and a detachment, but it seemed like there was actually, certainly from ex-players, I don't know if this is a, a German-wide reaction to the defeat against Mexico, but I was quite struck by how vicious the punditry seemed to be. Yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, we have to see it, I think, as a campaign almost. And 
Of course, every Germany defeat at big tournaments brings these charges of the team not wanted enough in various guises, or they're not really doing what we did. Of course, we, being the proper football men back then, behaved much worse. Nobody um, thinks about that at that moment. And and easy targets. You know, easy targets like Mesut Ozil, whose body language always gets people very, very annoyed when things don't go uh, well. Of course, Ozil, the whole backstory with Erdogan, mm. um, sort of putting his identity as a proper German football player in doubt, for some people at least. And yes, I think that Germany right now, this summer, with migration again, be a really hot talking point and perhaps enough to bring down the government. These things take on a life of their own. And now, the stuff I said earlier, I think this is for people who are not really interested in the politics, but even they weren't really fully behind this Germany team for other reasons. And I think now, A, these proper football men have to uh, put a sock in at least over the next few days. Uh, and B, I think those who were a little bit distant and felt that the team didn't really speak to them, didn't really connect with them, um, inevitably, I think, feel just through the sheer emotions, a different kind of relationship. Yeah, I don't know Lothar Mateus particularly, but he strikes me as the kind of guy who might struggle to put a sock in it. We'll, we'll watch that one with interest. But Mesut Ozil himself came out fighting. He says, what a fight. We are one team on and off the pitch, no matter what they say, which is fairly pointed. Do you buy into the idea that there are rifts within the squad? No, I don't think there are rifts. I think this was a story that was overplayed a little bit. Uh, there is undoubtedly a difference between someone like Thomas Müller, who hails from Upper Bavaria, from Little Village outside Munich, and his dad works for BMW, to the guys um, like Boateng and Kadir and Ozil, who grew up as, as children of immigrants in very, very different uh, situations, um, financially, socially, um, in, in all aspects. And these guys have a bit more in common and they spend more time together and they have different interests. But to go from there to say that there are active parties and factions working against each other the way they were in 2012, so we really had a big problem between the Bayern players and the Dortmund players, I think is off the mark. These are people who have a bit more in common with, with each other than, than other parts, but I don't think it actually translates into sort of a power struggle behind the scenes and us against them kind of mentality. I just don't buy into it. And everything I've heard from from the players and from those around the day, they all feel that this is not really the story here. Just one more before I let you go, Rafa, on Tony Kroos, who I started with. The, the amount of pressure, and you've outlined some of it coming from outside the squad on that moment and on this game, the fact that he'd given the ball away for the Sweden goal, hadn't played very well by his own standards in the opening game against Mexico, to then produce the moment that he produced with some people roaring on the sidelines, it crossed the ball, to have the cameras to do that is obviously astonishing. Where is Kroos, do you think, when he, when he, ever, when he hangs up his boots, going to figure in the all-time list of, of great German midfielders, of which there are quite a few? Uh, yeah, I think he's increasingly being seen as as possibly the biggest German midfielder ever. I mean, German uh, football teams have been dominated by central midfielders, yeah. but usually they are guys who score goals, they're guys who make things happen. He, the biggest impact apart from the goal was the fact that Kroos did not wilter under the pressure or under the, the shame of having given the ball away from that uh, for that goal. He just kept on passing. He ended up with a 95% passing quote. And I just read that he had 127 uh, passes. Um, that's almost as many as Sweden altogether. And you can talk about German mentality and you can talk about you know, performing under pressure, but ultimately this German team um, pummels opposition by, by playing. They just keep on playing. And Kroos is the symbol of that. So, of course, we wouldn't have that conversation if he shoots that ball sky high into the sky. But um, I think there is something in him that uh, Tony Kroos playing his normal game, as we've seen with Real Madrid, who as a team might not be always convincing, gives Germany a chance to win games. And I think that is the big message of this game. OK, Germany against Korea on Wednesday afternoon, isn't it? Yeah, it's hard to keep track of the, the days at this stage of the competition. It'll be worth watching. Listen, Raphael Honigstein, great to catch up. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Eric Cantona has jumped in!
disgraceful an incident as that in all my years in football. Eric Cantona should be thrown out of the game for that sort of incident. I care not one jot about his supreme talent. He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter. Yeah, that was Jonathan Pierce. That was the opinionated commentary style that I mentioned earlier on. He's not for everyone, old. Mm, he is advocating a lifetime ban there. Well, <laughs> heat of the moment, I suppose. Heat of the moment. I mean, the, the, we've made the point many times, but we, you still uh, can't believe that the first three sentences of that are before the Kung Fu kick. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. I care not one jot, Murph, for his <sighs> extravagant talent. Yeah, indeed. Oliver Sheena Akalaje has joined us once again. Oliver Sheena, are the Super Eagles ready to knock Leo Messi out of the World Cup? Well, I think they they are. I think, but I don't know if they if they could if they can. <laughs> it's up to them, really, now because um, they need to win against Argentina. They don't even need a draw. They need to win, and I think um, the players are are talking and the coach is talking. So let's see. I believe if they fail to beat Argentina in Russia, I think it will be difficult for Nigeria to finally beat Argentina in a World Cup final. Yeah, because these guys have beaten Nigeria. We, we mentioned this when we were talking to you last week before the tournament that you've played them. You always play them and you've lost those matches. But surely it's different. This time, Nigeria come into the game on the back of a brilliant performance last time out and against Iceland. Argentina are just, they're, I mean, they're, they're a mess. Psychologically, they, they look broken. Absolutely. Um, with all of the problems um, going, um, they're, they're going their way. Everything is not going right for them at the moment. Um, the manager is under fire. We understand he's not in charge, but who cares? Um, Lionel Messi hasn't really, really been the man to lift them because it's like the whole thing is broken. Imagine Yavia Mascherano. What an irony. He said Nigeria disorganized. Argentina are the properly disorganized team at the moment. And I think that's some of the things that the players are saying. The Nigerian players, I mean, they said this is their moment. This is the time for them. And I think um, they will need to capitalize on the problems plaguing the Argentines at uh, the Argentines and um, finally sneak, um, just pick that win. Every time Nigeria played Argentina at the World Cup, they always lost by the odd goal. Mm. You know, um, in 94, it was 2-1. In um, 2002, it was 1-0. In 2010, it was 1-0. In 2014, it was 3-2. So you need to finally get over that voodoo and then just get that over that voodoo and um, pick a win that essentially will seal a place in the round of 16. If they don't win now, like I said earlier, they might find it difficult to beat Argentina ever again at the finals. Well, what they need is a performance like they gave against Iceland and not what we saw the first time out against Croatia. How do you account for the improvement against Iceland in the second game? Because they were very good and Musa got a couple of great goals. I think it was all about going back to the basics. I mean, they have plan A. Plan A, they decided not to use against Croatia. And um, uh, it was a proper mess. It was a mess for the Nigerian side. Against, um, against, the, against Iceland, they decided to opt for the three-five-two formation. I mean, Nigerians will tell you, um, the traditional formation for Nigeria is 4-4-2. But you have a German manager who has his own ideas and everything. So I think opting for a back three and playing five um, in the middle. And I mean, we have Victor Moses also playing in his right foot position, the wing back position that is played for Chelsea very well. And then John Mikel will be dropping back to be a defensive midfielder, actually um, tilted in the favours of Nigeria. And then they opted for Ahmed Musa, very pacey. Um, you need to use the advantage of Musa's pace. If you don't, Musa is one player who at Leicester City struggled, but then he went back to CSK Moscow, rediscovered his form. He scored two brilliant goals against Argentina, um, sorry, against Iceland. He scored two against Argentina in the previous World Cup, um, in the past World Cup. So, he's the man that you can rely on if you've got pace use it if you've got players who should be playing in their right foot position use it i think that was what actually went um well for nigeria it's about putting the players in right position opting for a formation the players we are well um, knew everything about and um you know capitalizing on iceland being all um all organized and all of that but when it comes to pace you can't beat Nigeria when it comes to pace. I think that was what went right for them. You said that you think that they will need to Win the game. You're not. You're not sure a draw will get through because it might be enough if Iceland don't beat. Well, it will be enough if Iceland uh, lose to Croatia. But are you worried that Croatia have already won their two games? They're already through, so maybe they'll take it easy against Iceland. I think um, they themselves are actually worried as well because um, yeah, they might decide to rest some players and 
and and just play young. I'm not worried about that. I just think if you go into a tournament and you want your future in the hands of someone else, it might yeah. go awfully wrong for you. The best thing for you to do is go into the game with the mentality that you need to pick all three points. I think that's what um, I, I spoke to the captain. I think that's what is in their minds. They said um, they don't want um, Croatia to rest players. They want Croatia to play their best players. And then they want to go into the game against Argentina, not needing a draw, but a win. I think that's the only mentality you can go. If a draw comes in, then you can look around and say you've given your best. Let's see what's happening in the other game. But if you go into that game thinking a draw will be enough, I don't think... I don't think that would I don't think that would do them any any favors at all. They need to go in there, win their own game, and then just forget about the permutations and what could go right, what could go wrong again. You told us last week that Senegal would be strong, and they certainly have been. I mean, they beat Poland. They had that ex- very exciting draw yesterday with Japan. That group is really wide open, though, as well, similarly to Group D. Are you confident Senegal can go through? Um, yeah, I, I'm still confident they can go through. I think um, the game against Colombia um, will actually be a tough one for them. I think uh, the only weakness that we didn't really talk about about the Senegalese team that you think that probably Alucice should have handled is the fact that the goalkeeper, Karim Diaye, has actually been a suspect during their qualifying round. He's shown, I mean, moments of not so comfortable in terms of covering for the uh, in goal, covering goal for Senegal. I think he showed that yesterday and it was really disappointing. I thought Alucize would have fixed that problem. And then the fact that the the defense line when 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 they are in transition they tend to switch off at the back and the Japanese were very tricky. So that's why we saw those um, problems there. I think Senegal should have won. Now they will go into the game against Colombia knowing that only a win will actually um, make them qualify. Because like I said, it's the same thing situation with Nigeria. You don't want to leave the other team to do you favours. You want to go into your game and take control. Maybe a draw will be enough. Who knows? But Colombia, Colombia are back in the tournament now. They will come all fighting against Senegal. I still believe Senegal are very organised. Um, Alucice say understands the philosophy of his of his team and is still someone who stick with his own philosophy and his belief about his team. They're very strong. Sadio Mane hasn't really lighted up the tournament like a lot of people expected him to. I think that's because he's the only man that everyone is focusing on. We saw Wagi with a brilliant goal and then Ibrahim Saar has been sensational. Um, and then Khalidou Koulibaly is showing everyone why he's regarded as a 100 million um, euros transfer um, target for a lot of clubs in Europe. So I think Senegal will probably pull through uh, eventually. Are you enjoying the World Cup so far, Halogina? Yeah, so far, so good. Um, not for Africa. Um, I think Nigeria and Senegal making it all like, interesting. Yeah. Um, for the North Africans, I think they will go back and on, they will go back and um, they would get to understand that the World Cup is not the African Cup of Nations. It's always the best of the best. And when you're not ready, um, you would always suffer. So for me, it's been a great tournament. Nigeria's kids still shining. Um, uh, Senegal still roaring like a lion. Um, I think it's 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 an exciting World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Oliver Sheena, we'll catch up soon. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys, and enjoy the rest of your show. After bed, I went. My head was fried. I didn't even know there was a damn card absolutely in the fucking I was horror. devastated. I'd been after smokes a while. Hard Saw that back on there. <laughs> I had a date organised for that night. A first date with someone cancelled that. My head was gone. <laughs> Woke up the following morning, and to my absolute amazement, I read this message on my phone. Let me tell you, you're only getting this because you're a former player of mine and <laughs> I'm not too sure too many journalists would have got the third time lucky. Hi Richie, sorry the equipment didn't work again, but it's no problem for me to do it again. Maybe see you in Ipswich one day for third time lucky. Best wishes, Mickey. Best wishes, Mickey. I got a job on a Wednesday. I'd been a player up until that, that yeah. Wednesday. Took the training on Thursday. I picked the team on Friday and I took the game on Saturday. So I got the job on the Wednesday. I'd been a player up until that, that yeah. Wednesday. Took the training on Thursday. Picked the team on Friday and I took the game on Saturday. So it was a bit of a whirlwind. Oh God. And I'm just looking down. I think all the red lights are still on. It looks like we've recorded this successfully. Mick, thank you so much for agreeing to do this so many times. Richie, I sincerely hope so because there's no fourth time lucky, let me tell you. Those of you listening to Friday's show might remember there was a little bit of nervous energy in the studio as the second captain's team prepared once again to try to go all the way in the Fair Play Cup. 
tried to play football essentially mm. you know we've been watching enough of it we thought we tried to play it this is a tournament we enter every year organised by UNHCO Ireland and Sport Against Racism Ireland uh, previously we've been knocked out at quarter final stage semi-final stage so the aim was to make a final and then take our chances from there well our scumbag of the week was certainly paying attention I've got a call here that says you're the most boring predictable condescending interviewer around go back to lecturing you have the charisma of a sick bag oh god that's just it I just wow. mentioned not you no me okay ain't nobody f***ing with my click 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 ain't nobody fresher than my mom we don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff that click, comes from scum click, around the country click Shay Egan World Service member took a wander into the Law Society Oh no! Yeah, then in Blackhawk place there. Yep, as emailed in Murph to editor at secondcaptain.com with Lakeep style player ratings. Hi guys, as I walked in, I was greeted by a carnival atmosphere, music blaring, and the smell of delicious food from food trucks. I saw the second captain team warming up to play the Rohingya team. It was a bizarre scene to see former middleweight world champion Andy Lee in a goalkeeper's jersey warming up with former Irish international Richie Sadler. As the game got underway, I was looking for Owen McDevitt. I was shocked to see him gingerly pacing the sideline, not togged out. I could only assume he was identified as a team's main playmaker in a previous game and was viciously I taken admit, out. I don't look like the athlete of the day supposed to look. <laughs> My yeah. belly's just a little big. My hand is just a little big. But brother, I am bad and they know I'm bad. My calf muscle was just a little unstretched before the game yeah. and I therefore twanged it about four minutes into <laughs> playing in goals in the opener. You did twang it. Oh, felt like I was... You know the thing that, that footballers and sports... I felt like I was shot. Yeah. It felt a bit like I was shot in the back of the calf. Mm. Not great. So that, that explains that one. But I continue with the email here yeah. from Shay. As the game went on, I became convinced there was an innovative rule in place where two players must remain in the opposition's half at all times to encourage free-flowing football. Free-flowing football. But then I realised it was just Kieran Murphy and Richie Sadler not tracking back. <laughs> uh, so anyway, second happens win the game. We're trying to lengthen the field, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jeez. Really stretch Rohingya. People have no little to no understanding of the latest tactical innovations when there's no offside rule. Second captains prevailed in the end, 3-0, and I've compiled player ratings of the team members I could identify. <laughs> Andy Lee, 8. Playing in goals, I expected a no-nonsense approach from Andy. How wrong I was. After making a routine save, I thought he would be booting the ball long out of hand. Instead, he dropped the ball at his feet and pinged a pass out wide to a teammate. This display, display of goalkeeping, goalkeeper playmaking continued throughout, and he made a one-on-one save like David De Gea, with his legs. So that's an 8 out of 10. David Darty, 6.5, solid defender, did the simple things right, and minded the house when others were seeking glory up front. Mark Horgan, 4. Yeah, that's about right. Good player who bombed on from the back as often as he could, loses marks for his overly physical approach to shepherding an opposition player over the <laughs> sideline with the help of a shoulder barge. <laughs> Kieran Murphy, 5.5. Jaffa kicks. Cultured left-footed player cutting in from the right, scored a nice goal, loses marks for work rate, not being up to scratch. Unbelievable. I had a Belgian waffle. And wearing Manchester United shorts. That was no good here. <laughs> black shorts, okay? I'm not going to go out and buy a new pair of black shorts that are non-club specific. They're, they, there they are. They do a solid job in my gear bag. That's all. I'm, I'm absolutely unapologetic about that. Richie, X5 Sad Sadler, 7. A man with a majestic touch coupled with some superb hold of play. Think Berbatov in his Spurs days. Movement could have been better. Think Messi 2018 World Cup. Solid display, topped off with a fine finish. Honourable mention. Well, incorrect. Didn't get a goal. No, Richie so. didn't get a goal. I don't yeah. think. In the, in the no, tournament. No, he didn't. No, he's, he's been robbed. Colleen McKeown, uh, a work, solid workhorse in the team, has been, has been robbed by our emailer of... His rightful goal. Well, Colleague does get a mention, if only in brackets here, Murph. Honourable mention goes to a younger player with a slick haircut. haircut. Not the red-haired balding man, but he was also <laughs> decent. <laughs> God, I thought for a second... Cheap that- shot! Yeah, that is cheap Had shot. some fine touches and made some nice passes. I presume that younger player is Alan Colley. Yeah. Who I think, Murph, is actually older than you, but apparently looks 10 years younger. So that's, well, that's, that's good, good news for good, Alan yeah. Colley. <laughs> Honourable, uh, unfortunately, I couldn't stay as long as I wanted to do. I had to go training. I'm eager to find out how the rest of the games went. Regards, Seamus Egan. James, thank you for that detailed Lakeep style player rating. I like how brutally we're, we're necessary. The bad news is that you stumbled upon the only match that we won. We were beaten by Sarri, Sport Against Racism Ireland, in the first game. Brought in a few reinforcements. Some guys had arrived up in Port Leash, but they were too late to take part in the tournament. Mm-hmm. So Cedric and Ozzy and one or two others helped us out there and gave us some fresh impetus. That's what got us over the line in that 3-0 victory, but not enough to beat the Irish Homeless Street League team in the third game. We were... Who were utterly brilliant. Very, so. very good team. Knocked out at the group stage. It, did, it, did, it was not... We didn't cover ourselves in glory. On the other hand... Absolutely amazing day. Amazing day. We amazing hung around for about two hours after we'd been eliminated because we didn't want to leave. That's yeah. how brilliant this tournament is. Uh, yeah, listen, you know, it's not about results. Okay, it's probably about results. <laughs> but when you don't get results, 
having an amazing day in the sitting in the sunshine Dublin sunshine yeah. we'll have to do and a congrats I don't know if you saw who won it Murph, but Brazil, no. Brazil United FC won. see that's I, I did want one of the teams who beat us to win the tournament yeah. so then we could feel yeah, better yeah, that yeah. didn't happen Brazil United FC won the men's and the Irish Homeless Street League team won the women's so congratulations ah. to those congrats guys and well done for, to everybody for putting on a brilliant day as always Murph today's fixtures in the football proper World Cup 2018 what are we looking at uh, okay, so today at three o'clock. Now, people, you do need to recalibrate. The games are starting at three and seven from now. There's on. no so, one o'clock game. So Saudi Arabia against Egypt uh, is on at the same time as Uruguay. Uruguay against Russia. Yeah, dead rubbers, really. Well, we'll see. We'll, it'll be interesting to see Russia against a good team. Yeah. See what happens there and who tops the group. And then uh, later on this evening at seven o'clock, it's Iran against Portugal. Yes, and that's Spain the game. against Morocco. Iran Portugal's game today. Can Carlos Quiroz? The man who Roy Keane feels he should have ripped his head off. Mm. Knock Portugal and Cristiano Ronaldo out of the World Cup. Iran need to win that game. It's pretty straightforward. It's not a serious lack of permutations in the groups today. We're easing you in permutations-wise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because by the time it gets to Thursday, well, let's just say <laughs> things are going to get complicated. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thanks for listening. Talk to you in the World Service tomorrow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 